Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm so delighted now in studio also with me today is Brian Scott Smith, who is a very distinguished reporter of many years, WSHU and others. Uh, He's worked for NPR. He's worked for a lot of notable news organizations in print as well as on the radio. And he is uh, noted in particular for an in-depth look and a very real familiarity with the part of the state that he lives and reports from, which is not the southwestern part of the state, but another part of the state. Uh, Brian Scott Smith, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. What a pleasure. Lisa, thank you so much. Oh, I'm so happy. You know, I found you online. You did. I found you online as a distinguished podcaster in Connecticut. So let me give you that plug. I know. Thank you so much. Isn't that lovely? That is absolutely. I think it's the first time somebody's called me distinguished. Well. I am getting more gray hair, so I think that probably helps to add to it as well. Doesn't distinguished go with the accent? Well, apparently it does. I think now, it does. Just before we get into the weeds of whatever you're going to like grill me about, yes. um, I was listening earlier and you were saying about uh, your waistline and whatnot. Yes. So you're not going to love me, I'm afraid, because I've come bearing gifts and I've got a bag of chocolate I am going to love you. That's the problem. Cookies. The part of me that's going to love you is the frontal lobe that has absolutely no control. There you go. So <laughs> these are made by an organization actually in Eastern Connecticut called really? the ARC uh, Eastern Connecticut. And they are a nonprofit that looks after people with... With intellectual and developmental disabilities, right? and they make those cookies. So they have come hot foot from oh, Eastern I know Connecticut. Arc. I know Ark. But they're all over. Yes, but, that's but, why I know them as an agency in my probate judge life. But the Arc I know Eastern, them well. The Ark Eastern Connecticut is the biggest Ark now in Connecticut. Is that right? So there we go. That's a claim to fame for Eastern Connecticut. They do great work. That's wonderful. Thank also, you. it doesn't end there. I'm afraid oh, because Brian. I know that you know. University-wise, you never went to Yukon, but I've got a Yukon bar of chocolate <laughs> for you. As With well. the husky and everything. Exactly. Did you go to Yukon? No, no. Do you represent part of stores? Do you cover that area of I the do. state? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, so Connecticut East this week, which is my podcast, which you were alluding to. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I cover all of Eastern Connecticut. In fact, I was actually at uh, Yukon yesterday. And uh, so, yeah, I travel all up and down because even though I live in southeastern Connecticut and mm-hmm. I live uh, near New London, mm. um, which is a great city. I love you that know, city. If you have a podcast called Connecticut East this week, you really need to travel around. I think you do. You do. I so, do. And I love driving. And, um, yeah, so I get around all over the place. Okay, hold on. Andrew wants me to, to up. 
Hold on. I'm upping. Andrew, is that better? Uh, speak, Brian. Speak. Uh, speak. Hopefully. That, hopefully <laughs> you can it, hear me Is that me a better? Bit we good? Okay, good. Um, so in eastern Connecticut is, you know, the maps are very confusing when it comes to Connecticut <laughs> because we do tend to think of ourselves as north. Yes. You know, this whole idea of east-west is very weird to people who actually live around here mm-hmm. because our center of radius is still Manhattan yep. for many of us. So what are the towns and cities in the area that you cover Gosh, um, so that would be like New London, Waterford. You've got Stonington, which is right on the so road, beautiful. right on the Rhode Island border. You've got Mystic, of course, which is you know everybody knows about Mystic. You've got Norwich, which is oh, a great yeah. city as well. I have relatives buried there. There you go. I have a I have a real family history up there. Yeah, yeah. When my grandma came off the boat from um, a tiny little shtetl in Lithuania, uh, her family settled in Uncasville on a farm. So here's the thing, you know. She was there from 1912. I'm going to have you on my podcast. Oh, that'll be So fun. maybe if we can drag you up. Oh. To, perhaps let's drag <gasps> you to Uncasville. Have oh, you there. And let's, can we? Let's do that. That would be fabulous. <gasps> let's do it. Fabulous. Let's do Lisa Wexler revisits Uncasville. I went to my Tante Bessie's farm when I was a little girl, and I still remember it. There. There we go. It was a red house on a hill. I think it's a McDonald's now. See, that's what I try to do with it is, is you know, this is a lovely studio. Um, I don't have the privilege of a lovely studio. Um, so what I tend to do is I tend to go to my sort of like um, interviewees and, you know, because I like to get out and about and chat to them. So, I mean, I'm hopefully going to do an interview in the next couple of weeks with The Last Green Valley, which actually runs up eastern Connecticut. And it's a heritage corridor, not a heritage park, but a heritage corridor. And it runs into sort of like uh, southern Massachusetts. They've just been reauthorized for another 10 years. Is that, so that means it's protected from real estate exactly. development? Exactly. I'm so into this, Absolutely. Brian Scott Smith. That's, this is my thing. This is why I thought I'd mention it. So so I'm actually going to visit them, and we're going to, hopefully if the weather's not, you know, sort of like crummy that day, is we're going to go outside, and we'll go into part of the corridor, and we'll do the interview there, and we'll talk oh, about the lovely. fact that, you know, this is the job that they do, and this is why it's important. So, yeah, so... Let's have you come up to Uncasville and, and, you know, we'll do the podcast up there and you can reminisce. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, and of course, Uncasville and Norwich, they have really been transformed, as has New London, by the casinos, right? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, of course, nice little segue at the moment. So the casinos, i.e. the tribes... Um, uh, uh, discussing whether or not to rename 
uh, or the, the a bill has been put forward by a legislator to potentially rename the Thames River. Oh, yes, I saw that as the Pequot. Yes, to the Pequot River. Which we is have this- Pequot Library here in Southport. We have Pequot Trail in Westport. We have Pequot Streets in Norway. We have Pequot a lot down here, the Pequot Tribe. Yeah. Unfortunately, the tribes can't agree at the moment. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of a debate going on. They what said a shock. That, yeah. <laughs> they said that they're going to get together and um, and try and come up with something. But potentially, you know, the bill is there, and potentially, if they can agree, and apparently they have to be the ones that agree the name, the Thames River could possibly, um, you know, be renamed. Now, do we pronounce it in Connecticut as the Thames as opposed to the Thames? <laughs> we do. Especially speaking to someone with a British accent? We do call it the Thames, which I really <laughs> struggle with. I, I have to remember to say yes. the Thames. And, yes. um, but, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody, I can't remember who it was, a long time ago, and they said, well, you know, even though we call it the Thames and you say the Thames, um, we've sort of, like, done a little bit of research, and we think, actually, originally, it may have been pronounced the Thames. Could and then be. The British just decided that to sounds call it right. the Thames. And I said, well, that wouldn't surprise yeah. me. So because the Brits, we like to do things yeah, like that. So. Yeah, it's the so. silent H. It's the silent H in Thames. Yeah. We're chatting with Brian Scott Smith, like the silent P in pneumonia, as P.G. Wodehouse used to say. Yes. It's one of my favorites, by the way. Uh, 203-333-9422, if you want to join in on the chat. I'm having the loveliest time chatting with Brian Scott Smith. We're going to be right back and continue to get to know Eastern Connecticut. Stay tuned. Two-time winner of Westport Lifestyle Reader's Choice Best Radio Show. The Lisa Wexler Show is back on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. We're chatting with Brian Scott Smith, who is a reporter. And let's plug the podcast one more time in case people here want to hear it about what's going on in Eastern Connecticut, Brian. It's uh, Connecticut East this week, and you can find it at the website, which is Connecticut-East.com. Lovely. So, so Brian Scott Smith, so tell me, so right now, controversy about renaming the Thames River over the Pequot tribe. Uh, I know last year there was a lot of controversy in bills that were promulgated about insisting that in exchange for state funding, names of sports teams were renamed in order to not be offensive to the tribes. Mm -hmm. What other kinds of public policy issues are happening in eastern Connecticut now? The biggest one, which um, is the story that continues to give, um, is State Pier in New London. And now State oh, Pier. St- oh, yes. yes You've Pier. heard of State Pier, yes. Oh, yes. So, we did a big deep dive on that once. Oh, yeah. yeah I so remember. The Connecticut Port Authority yes. um, is continuing to be in and out of the news, sadly, as a quasi-public. And that one, yeah, I mean, it just, every month there seems to be something new about we, that. We had on one of the uh, people, you have to remind my, my producer, Melissa's here, she, her, she's also, front, Christopher was his name? Uh, he. He ran for office also. He was sort of the gadfly that got, you probably know the name, uh, he was a gentleman who was really trying to bring attention to what he felt was the corruption at State Pier. Kevin Blacker. Kevin Blacker. Yes. He came on the show. He's rather impressive, frankly, I thought. He is. He is very passionate, uh, born in the area, in the Noank area. His family have been there for a very long yes. time. 
And basically, yeah, Kevin has followed this from day one. And between Kevin and also the local newspaper, The Day, and, mm-hmm. a, and uh, a gentleman who's one of the opinion writers there, Dave Collins, between the two of we them. We had Dave on as well. Yeah, yes. They really kicked this all off yes. you know, a couple of years ago. And now all of us have piled in right. and, you know, the rest of the media. So we've, we've got both of them to thank. But yeah, Kevin in particular has really been, you know, doggedly determined to say, okay, I'm not anti sort of like, um, you know, renewable energy and whatever, but the way that you're going about this, the money that you're spending, because this started off initially as a $93 million project. It currently stands at $255.5 million. It's gone up exponentially. And all you ever get, you know, when you ask questions is, well, you know, there were unforeseen things. And yeah, okay, it's a big project. And we can all be very critical of these things. But, you know, and and, and big projects never go smoothly. I mean, I've never heard of a project that comes in on time, on budget sort of thing. So, you know, let's just be realistic about that and, and, you know, be a little bit fair. But, you know, from 93 million to 255 and then just recently... They've said, oh, well, we continue to have problems here. We may have to come back for more money again. Having told the Bond Commission a while back, oh, no, we won't be coming back for any more money. And what's not helping the situation is they won't be transparent at the moment about how much potentially they want to ask. They keep saying, well, we're negotiating with our partners, which is Eversource and Orsted, as to, you know, what we can get from them because that's also been a big big issue is that the state is effectively and the taxpayers of this of state of this state are coughing up the majority of the money for the state peer development and what is the development intended to be it it will be what's called a platform uh, which is literally a lot a of platform. a platform yeah a, a lot of concrete and gravel um, which you know has to be put down under a very high specification because the things that will be sort of like put on there are very heavy so okay. ships will come in it will be a landing platform for these parts to come in they will assemble them um, to a certain degree and then basically another ship will then take them out to you know beyond uh, obviously, the sight line are to these um, these areas designated for the wind farms, and then they'll start to construct oh, wind farms. Oh, I see. This is all about wind farms. Mm, exactly. But, you know, even so that... So this is why there's this urgency to hurry it up. There is. But what's interesting... With this federal money now, too. Yep. But what's interesting is that uh, Orsted, who's one of the leaders of offshore wind farms, uh, recently there was some stuff in the press that they're not doing too good themselves as an organisation and as a company because a lot more competition has now entered into the marketplace. So interesting. And also, have you seen that a lot of these uh, standing poles are falling down in the ocean? Have you been reading about that? Yeah. And, and if it's not just that, of course, the fishing industry have really got on their high horse about yes. this whole thing because well, it's cutting across fishing grounds. Yeah. And then, of course, recently, and again, you, you will have seen this, it's been mm-hmm. in all the, the press. Whales. The whales. Mm-hmm. Which So there's a lot of mm-hmm. dynamics going on with, yes. with this story. And it's interesting about the whales because a lot of the left of center press wants to say, and they cite authorities to say, that the people who've really looked at this have looked at a... Um, risk-benefit analysis, and while they acknowledge that it may be affecting some whales because they can't really tell, Mm. they think in the big picture for humanity as a whole and the health of marine life as a whole, we need to cool the oceans by decreasing fossil fuels. And therefore, they're making this opinion that it's okay to do it. Mm. But then you have other people like environmentalists right now who are saying, well, wait a minute, some of these whales are going extinct, 
okay? Like they're literally in danger of extinction. Some of them are doing better. Some strains are doing worse. So maybe not so fast in the risk-benefit analysis because we don't want to lose all these whales. Yeah, and also what's interesting as well is they keep citing areas, other parts of the world. So the United Kingdom, where I come from, is currently one of the biggest they have some of the biggest wind farms in the world. But, you know, where they're sited, the oceans around them are very different to what we've got off of the eastern seaboard. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but for years, on-land wind uh, turbines have caused... Huge problems. Huge problems. Huge problems. And the Department of Defense in particular... The the sound of them, the low sound, has driven some people crazy, Brian. There's that. And also, the Department of Defense have always had issues because what they do is they create gaps in the air defence network. Is that right? And that's not just here. That's something that's been proven in other countries as well. So it causes issues with sort of like the the radar and the online. So we may have more balloons coming in from China. Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, so there's lots of there's lots of things, you know, lots of dynamics on on this particular story. Clearly, it is going to happen. You know, the state is going to make sure that this thing sort of like um, you know opens and starts and yeah, becomes because they want it to be a hub for the uh, the offshore wind industry. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more competition. So it's one of those stories, like I said, it's going to keep giving. And is this a story that Governor Lamont's administration is a tad defensive about? Yes, they are. In fact, I've questioned the Lamont administration. And in fact, I've even spoken directly to Governor Lamont in the past and got a very frosty reception mm-hmm. on some of the very pointed questions yeah. that were asked this about This to it. me, I mean, in so many ways, Governor Lamont is very candid and very open but on this particular issue, I feel a clamming up. Yes, absolutely. We're chatting with Brian Scott Smith. We're talking about the eastern part of the state. And let's face it, we're a tiny state. We're barely over 3 million people. We're all very connected to each other. And it's a very beautiful state. I have a question for you in the remaining minutes, uh, Brian. We are paying a lot of attention here in Fairfield County to a number of housing proposals that are coming up in Hartford right now. Is there any sense that the people that you cover are, number one, paying attention to these, number two, care about them one way or another? How do they feel about having Hartford control land use decisions in their towns? Yeah, it it is an issue. I mean, because, of course, where we are, we need a lot of housing in eastern Connecticut. And part of that is to do with we've got a lot of manufacturing there and electric boat, which makes, of course, the submarines for, you know, the nation. Um, uh, on a huge recruitment effort. I know that. Well, that's fine, but where do you house these people? And that's the problem. And how do you house them? Are you going to keep building multifamily rentals? Are you going to give them a stake in a townhouse development or a single-family home? Yep, exactly. And then, of course, when it comes to affordable housing, some of the towns have turned around and said, no, I don't want that on my doorstep. But it's like, okay, then where are people supposed to live? So, yes, absolutely, it has become a hot-button issue even in eastern Connecticut. I would think so, because Eastern Connecticut has some of our most beautiful towns. Mm. And a lot of these bills would impose unfunded mandates on, frankly, developing open spaces. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then, of course, you've got local opposition to that, and, and they can be very vocal. Well, yeah, because they go to a place and buy land there because they like the way it looks. Mm. Yeah. What part of the state have you chosen to live in? Where do you live? So I live in a place called Quaker Hill, which is a village inside of Waterford, which is next door to New London. It's I've a, never been. Yeah, it's beautiful it's place. It's beautiful. It is very beautiful. We actually managed to find a two-acre parcel of land and built our own home there. So there you are. So how would you feel if there were no more zoning requirements and you couldn't look at the neighborhood the way it looks right now? It's always, that's always a big question, isn't it? I mean, 
I will just say the property that we've got, there's water behind us and it's also wetlands. Sounds pretty. So in fairness, it's hard for me to answer that question because nobody can build there anyway because you can't build on wetlands just because of what it's like and you can't obviously build on a lake. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, people understandably if you've you've purchased purchased somewhere and and suddenly it's changed dramatically you understand why people get very upset about that brian scott smith what a pleasure so lovely to meet you thank you for the goodies not at all thank you so much for the cookies from arc and the yukon husky chocolate bar my hips uh won't thank you but the rest of me will and we look forward to seeing you up in our neck of the woods can't to do wait. Your podcast. thank you so much 